for us that was so exciting to uh, to see how how we managed to accomplish something that people say that it was not possible. There's always a desire to push on to do something new and different, and the pandemic hasn't slowed that down. Just the frequency of which we get this dopamine and this happiness of, of doing a, a good job is, is something that, yeah, we're blessed to live through those roller coasters. Welcome to the Theatre Art Live podcast, and hello. We're putting the spotlight on those who create live entertainment around the globe, the culture creators, the backstage masters. My name is Anna Aguilera. And my name is Anna Rob. Our guest today is Nadia Kaliba. We will be talking about how digital media is integrated into events in the Middle East, some of the technologies she has been working with, and how she shapes that for the needs of the client. As an award-winning account director, Nadia specializes in revitalizing customer engagement and maximizing growth through future back strategies. Hello. Hi. Welcome to the show, Nadia. It's so good to see your face again. I'm so excited to speak to you today. I, I want to, you to talk to our audience and tell us a little bit about yourself and also how you came to be in Dubai. That's a long story that I'll make as short as possible. I'm from Bulgaria and there I studied uh, mathematics. Then I moved to do my bachelor in Holland, in the Netherlands, and I studied uh, business administration and tourism management, which I've never worked in my life. And from there on, basically, I discovered how exciting events are. So I joined the marketing department of the university. I worked there for, for four years as an international account executive. And then I just continued on, moved to Spain and started organizing uh, millionaire fairs and uh, things for the rich and the wealthy in Spain. Uh, I was part of a real estate company, so I was responsible for marketing and events side. And going with the flow, just like that, I ended up in Dubai doing something completely different. I worked in a company that was supplying fresh produce to the American army in Afghanistan. After three years, I discovered that's really not for me. I really still love events more than anything else. And I like things black and white and nothing in the gray. So I moved out of that industry and I came back to events. And discovering, joining basically the company that I currently work with, I discovered that I found my dream job without knowing that that's my dream job. So now I'm, now I'm sure that event technology is something that I, I want to stay in. And it's been six years. That's amazing. So, so the, the job that brought you to Dubai was to do with produce? Yep, produce. I was the fruit and vegetable lady. <laughs> but what was that motivation to go for it? Was it from Spain to Dubai that you took that job? Like, how did that happen? That was, uh, well, basically the real estate lady. Uh, she's a Dutch lady, still a great friend. And I was living with her at the time. She had a big villa. So she's like, yeah, just crash with me. And uh, then I can pay less salary, basically. Um, so I was living with her and her brother-in-law was building 10 villas in Spain. Also a Dutch guy. And basically, he said, what are you doing here? You have so much talent. You have so much knowledge about so many things. Why are you stuck here when it's recession and there's not really sales moving in Spain? Come, to, come back to Holland and I have something in mind for you. And uh, just spend a couple of months in Holland to understand how the company works, which is in 70 countries and it's a trading company. It's like a multi-billion dollar industry. So after a couple of months in, uh, back in the Netherlands, he said, okay, now you go to Dubai and you set up a company here. I need a, I need a Dubai branch. 
So it was that that random. And it's always in my life. I go with the flow and always good things happen. <laughs> that is so cool. It is totally unrelated entertainment, but I know that the Netherlands produces most of the food in the Emirates, at least when it comes to produce. Don't True. ask me why I know these things. I was very surprised when I learned. <laughs> I can even tell you that an apple, after it's picked, survives about 2.5 years. Okay, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, that is not what, the, what I thought I was going to learn from today's podcast. <laughs> super interesting <laughs> so now you work for uh, eventigrate right yes yeah and um tell us a little bit just for people i know that because i know what eventigrate is and and how they work in in dubai but for those who we have an audience that branch from theater to you know ceremonies to all sorts of things so tell us a little bit about what eventigrate does and um how that works in dubai so Eventigrid is now 10 years old. I joined six years ago. When I joined, we were four people, wires hanging from the ceiling, uh, people going over boxes and computers that need to be set up. Currently, we are uh, in five countries, over 60 people. Uh, I just came back a couple of weeks ago from Miami. We did the launch for HBO Max virtual event for Latin America. So the company has grown a lot in those six years that I've been involved. What initially, what they were doing initially the first couple of years was basically uh, mobile applications for the event industry. So both owners come from the event industry. One is more uh, technical and the other one is more technical in terms of a technical direction for events. And they combined forces and they made simple applications that work for the event industry, like a checking system and all of those things. And then they discovered that actually they know so much more about the whole process that they can start plugging other things into the events. Initially, it was small things. Um, we call them activations here. So if you have an exhibition stand or if you have a, a small kiosk somewhere, you will have a touch screen or you would have like a, a virtual reality thing that you just look and you see the offices somewhere else. Small things in general, but then we, we grew and we decided that just giving one activation isn't, isn't bringing enough benefit to our clients. It has to have a story. It has to have a purpose. It has to be not only trying to sell technology, but through technology to give a story. And then we started slowly, slowly creating journeys, uh, be it for museums, for award ceremonies, for uh, in general for launches or for exhibitions as well. So that shift already happened just when I was joining. They started that shift for activations plus. And then when I joined, basically, we leaned really hard into it. And I was the, the one commercial person. And uh, we started selling those experiences. And as in any small company, I was uh, the creative and I was the producer and I was everything in between that had to, to do with, uh, with commercial and with uh, client facing. So now what we do, how we define ourselves is technology artists. So yes, we use technology, but it has to make sense. So we will, we will always plug technology because, I mean, that's, that's how the world works nowadays. But the way that we will plug technology would be to make sense for the journey, to make sense for the visitors, to make sense for uh, measuring profitability of the whole project and of the whole campaign, rather than just uh, plugging technology because someone heard that augmented reality is super cool. So yeah, that's what we do now. And actually, actually, during COVID, we do something, again, very different because we didn't have too many on-ground events. Uh, we decided to um, start virtual events and to find a good partner for the virtual events. We didn't find a good partner at that time, which was last year, April. 
And because we have quite a big force workforce, we decided to build our own uh, event platform, which we have now. So now we're doing virtual and hybrid events. That is super cool. I love it. I think I've been saying that every podcast now, but I really love them. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit more about, I'm curious, how you deal with the customer needs and the arts part and the technology part, which are three very different things. But at the end of the day, as you were saying, they have to be all together and go towards the one goal. It's all about keeping in mind the, the end goal. And the way that we define ourselves is that we bring technology to inspire people. And one of our KPIs, to say so, is making our clients look good. So it doesn't matter what, what happens through the whole process. Our clients need to look good. They need to, their message needs to be understood by everyone and they need to, to be in a good position. So creatively, they might be in a position to say, I want exactly this, which is, I don't know, 5% of the time. And in other cases, they would say, we want to achieve that. Example, uh, actually a project that me and Anna worked on so basically, we had a, a situation where 35 companies are coming combined into one umbrella. And the person that is hired to, to lead those 35 companies is not from the same industry. He's from a different industry. So he was very worried. How is he going to announce to those 35 CEOs that now he's their new boss? He knows much less about the industry than them. And that was our challenge. So we're given a challenge and then creatively we have to come up with ways to battle that challenge. In this case, it was a military companies. So in this case, what we had to do was we had to interview the strategists of each of those 35 companies, but half of them didn't even know that this merger is happening. And we had to understand from the strategy what is the future of warfare. So basically, why we needed to do that? Because this CEO uh, was coming from the telecommunication industry. And he wanted to explain to them that the future of warfare is more about communication. It's more about technology and uh, being disruptive rather than just the weapon side. So by us interviewing all of those, spending months interviewing all of those strategists, we came up with a journey and a story that we managed to pack in one launching opening event uh, where we were taking them through the whole journey of them first not knowing what's happening or kind of knowing but not really just seeing some key messages and then moving them through, showcasing the brand and then giving them the whole show where they see exactly how this new CEO sees the, the future of uh, warfare and the future of the company. And then finally ending with his presentation where he explains who he is, what he's doing and how he's planning to lead them to the future. So that happens in, in many cases that, that we're just given a challenge and we know how they will, what's the outcome. We know the outcome. And then we have to start working backwards on how, to, how technology can help us reach the, the best possible outcome for our clients. I think the interesting part about that project was how much you had to invest in understanding the intricacies of the company, right, and, and being able to serve that. It wasn't, I know I've worked on many other sort of event-based stuff and it's, it's it, some of the people come in with a very clear, you know, I'm going to do an event or I'm going to do a production and it's very simple. That one particularly was kind of very in-depth and I, I, I literally witnessed Eventigrate working very, very hard to understand what the client was trying to do and work through multiple narratives. And that's such a creative process because 
you've got to take what's in somebody's brain and and then visualize that and through the technologies that they're wanting to visualize and so that's what becomes such an impressive thing to see is is people you know working through that side by side that was a, a an interesting case is is it always that complex or is it, it was that just sort of a unique sort of situation that was just a big scale, but yes, I would say it's uh, in most cases that complex. Somehow our clients, they don't see us as an agency that will have certain, like certain agencies, they specialize in uh, cars or automotive or in uh, pharmaceutical or in something else. Because we're a technology company, everybody comes to us for technology and somehow they demand from us that we know everything about every industry. And of course that's impossible, but depending on the scale of the project, um, we would really have to dive deep and understand a lot about a lot and just be able to to be creative within the industry and don't dismiss the need that they have for specific knowledge that we need to bring forward. So, you know, a lot more than produce now, for sure. <laughs> yes, yes. I have a lot of useless knowledge from uh, from diseases to, uh, to automotive to... A lot of aviation companies uh, mm-hmm. come to us, to, uh, to a few military companies as well from the UK, from, uh, from the UAE, and many governments, just mm-hmm. as many governments as you can imagine from, from the Middle East. Uh, here they, they really have uh, the bigger budgets to, to tell a better story. So a lot of governments actually use technology and are brave enough to use technology. Mm. Tell us more about that. Like, yes, the Middle East has been great and big at embracing technology. What has been your experience working in the Middle East and technology and all these things? It's been such a shift because we, we, we have projects all over the world. And I have my experience before that in events in, uh, in Europe. And it's, it's a massive difference. When I'm, I'm of course, simplifying. It's not for every single client the same, uh, the same story. But normally, if we sell something in Europe, we would have to make a plan how they can use this technology for the next two years. And can they bring it to all of the exhibitions? In the meantime, can it be sitting in their office? So you'll make this whole profitability schedule for them, how they will get the return on investment on this technology. In the UAE and in the Middle East, is different. So they will say, do something wow. We do something wow. And if, if, they're, if they think it's wow, they'll pay for it and we will actually execute it. And then for the next event, they say, that was wow. Now do something wower. And basically, they will, just, they will just demand that you always up your game and up your game. And they will never be thinking in the same way about profitability as Europe would be thinking. And I'm sure all, all other regions as well around the world. They will just be thinking, how can we top this up? How can we make it better? So they give more opportunities in a way to for us to exercise our creativity because we always have to be on top. While in Europe, I also have clients in Europe that, are, that require a big amount of creativity related to technology, but in general, not as much and as lavish as it will be in the Middle East. That's super interesting. And when you come to the technology, be it holograms or augmented reality or virtual reality, or any of the other things that you might offer as a solution to their goals? What's the discussion in the office is what you put on the table for them? Does it come down to, you know, budget, accessibility, 
is it begin with the creative like where how do, how do you narrow it down because there's so many technologies available to possibly service them right so but you're going to put something on the table so what's that process to get to what you're going to show them or offer them yeah that's a great question it's um it really depends the one thing we don't do is um, we develop some technology for ourselves. So we will showcase it to them if they like something uh, that we've developed as a product, but we don't try to sell it as a product. So we have a competitor here, for example, um, that every time our clients would try the competitor and then they'll be back to us because they're like, yeah, we have three events and three times they offer us the same thing because they need to resell it to make to make profit on it, on this specific hardware. That's That's the one thing we don't do. So when, when a client comes, in general, they would at least have an idea of the space of the, sometimes not, but in general, they'll have an idea of the space, of the location, of, uh, of the time of the day. So that will start narrowing down the technology. So if we're having, uh, for example, a thousand people crowd, a hologram stage would not be a good idea because it's hard to have a perfect viewing point. So we would not even offer that, but we might offer augmented reality stage or projection mapping that is extending around the venue, if the venue looks good. So it's as, it, I would say it's as any other creative process. We start from where, how, who, and then we start uh, basically making it more beautiful and, uh, and coming up with more ideas. And in general, it's a creative process between three, four people in the company that we just sit and it's like, what about this and what about that? Bouncing off ideas and then presenting sometimes 10, 15 options to the client until they decide something and they start morphing it into, uh, into what they believe is the best idea for them and what they understand would work for them. So it's, it's as in any other, any other event. You just start from, from the location. And uh, with technology, there are a few other things that matter. Height is very important. So if people are going to use it heads-on, where exactly do you position it? How do you position it so that so that people can use it in the best possible way? Now with with COVID, uh, hygiene is very important. So how do you sterilize things, and how do you make sure that people feel comfortable to use certain things, and that they see the process of things being cleaned up, rather than wondering like is this clean or or maybe something has happened? And uh, so so now it's a little bit more complicated with. Uh, with the pandemic, of course, but in general, it's again just a just a, a check that we have to do when we're ca- coming up with a creative solution, how to bring the best technology forward. And now it's mostly gesture, gesture technology. You you spoke a little bit about developing your own uh, hybrid platform and developing technologies. Do you want to talk a little bit about that process of developing a technology that suits you as a company and your customers and that you know that you will be able to, that it makes sense to develop, I guess. Yeah, that was, a, that was an interesting process because our clients, again, coming from the Middle East, um, have demands for more customization. So any uh, virtual reality platform was basically uh, a glorified zoom or or something that would be just uh, looking nice like it has a frame it has a few things it has a website but it doesn't go forward like it doesn't do more than that and what our clients wanted is to feel like they're on a real stage but not just a 2d image where you plug them in green screen or and not a post-production because they want everything to happen live and to have the q a so basically, we had to develop something that we create a full 3D stage. We populate our presenters, MC, 
in 3D space and we can interact and everything is happening live and we're running a full production. So the way that, that we developed the system actually also managed to utilize the, the, the event talent that we have in the Middle East. So we are still using show callers. We're still using stage managers just virtually. We're still using communication managers. We still have the AV, the, we, the light that we're preparing before the event. Uh, so we, we're still using all of those event positions and making use of those teams. Sometimes we're running event with 30, 35 people. Some events are smaller and run with just two. That's how we, we made sure that we, we keep people being busy during the pandemic, but also we made sure that we're providing a high quality event production with a real feel, look and feel stage and uh, all the, the gimmicks that you would expect from a, from a live event. Out of interest. Because and we call a, it Mimic. So we're Mimic. Mimicking it's called event. Mimic. That's cool. Yes. Out, out of interest, is, it, is, there, is there challenges with regards to, because whenever we talk about virtual events recently and things that I've been involved in, it's like, can it go into China? Can it go into the Middle East? Was there... Because um, video platforms are more restricted in the Middle East, what was what did you have to do to get in and around that issue? We went with cloud-based cloud -based solutions. So basically, we have nothing on the ground. Uh, we're running everything on the cloud. And based on where the event is positioned, that's where we select the server location to be. So if an event is happening in China, we set it up in China. If an event is happening somewhere else, we set it up somewhere else. So it, that's how we battle the, the problem of not having reachability to a certain group. Now, if the event is happening, so we run uh, 10 consecutive uh, stages, 10 consecutive events for the expo before the expo opened. They had thematic weeks. And those virtual stages uh, were supposed to be broadcasted in the whole world. So then where do you select your server to be was also very important. And how do we battle that is, well, you can have multiple servers and you can have multiple instances running your virtual show at the same time with the same team. It's just technology. Um, on, one, on one hybrid event, actually, which was we were running it from 11 locations plus the, the team was in a 12th location. That event, we had 900 plus uh, NDI instances. So we had 900 plus connections on how to run stuff through the cloud. We were like, the NDI people, they were just blowing their mind. They were like, how is that even possible? We've never seen it. How can you connect so many things? And we're like, yeah, we needed it. We needed to connect it, so we made it happen. So it's, um, it's, that's how we, we go around that uh, geographical boundaries. Do you think uh, uh, the pandemic helped the UAE to become a little bit more open when it comes to this, the, the cloud access and the, the internet connections? Yeah, I think it was, uh, it was something they needed to do, of course. Um, there was no way, like Zoom was not open a year ago, a, a year and a half ago. We couldn't use Zoom uh, without a VPN or some other illegal solution. Um, Skype is not open. So even uh, WhatsApp video is not open. There, there are a lot of things that are now available. Well, WhatsApp video not yet, but there are a lot of things that are now available and are made possible just because of the pandemic. And I think they realize that there's no way to, to control that part. Maybe it's temporarily. I don't know that. I hope it's not. But, uh, but for now it's open. And it's yes, it's definitely because of, because of COVID. 
That's good. I was going to say, what's that video? Well, I'm going to call you on video WhatsApp. If it, I mean, it's such an Asian thing to do to be on video call or WhatsApp. Like I, I don't think I ever call anybody on the phone like for real anymore. <laughs> I just do WhatsApp. So it's a new world, isn't it? Have a, we're missing out. Yeah. Was it, but, it, I mean, it, it varies from country to country, but I, I think that's something that I always say with people who are working internationally is just find out what is the app or method of communication of choice before you reach out and 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 even like if you don't have a WeChat account and you're applying for a job on China in China, forget about it. Like set up your WeChat before you even apply for the job because they're most likely going to contact you via WeChat than any other method. Um, and it it, it kind of changes the way that communities and cultures operate really with what the what technologies and platforms are available to them. So I think it's really really fascinating. I want to know for you personally, though, what's what's your kind of favourite sort of projects? Or I know that you're in your dream job, but what's your kind of favourite projects that you get excited about when clients walk in the door? What's what what really inspires you? Ah, uh, when I'm giving free creative reign, basically. <laughs> so uh, there was one that comes to mind that uh, that it was very exciting doing it. Again, it came with a massive challenge. It was for Cartier Middle East. And they were, they were having um, less sales in Kuwait than they used to have. And they were having sales mostly from the older generation. So they wanted to reposition themselves as a younger brand. And that was the only thing they came to us with. They were like, okay, we want to reposition ourselves as a younger brand. And we want to do it in that location. And that location was a state park. And that state park is not allowed for events that are um, commercial, that are selling something. So basically, that was a challenge. And they're like, oh, no, but we really wanted that location. Do we have to search for something else? And then basically, we came up with a concept that, okay, no problem. You still want to be young, so we will add technology. How about if we make it educational? Then we're allowed to stay in this park. So that's where the, the creative process started. How do we make it educational? How do we present this uh, jewelry collection in an educational manner? Um, well, we explain how the jewelry um, idea of this particular piece came to be and how it was created. So the whole creative process and the whole um, workmanship process. So we came up with a, a beautiful tunnel, an eight meter tunnel, where you just see the desert. Uh, the, the particular brand that they had was Cactus du Cartier. And it was all related about cactus looking pieces. So we had this massive eight meter tunnel where when you walk, at first, it was uh, coming up with scent, and I'm always big on playing with all senses. So not only seeing something and hearing something, but also feeling and smelling. So it came with wind that is touching your ankles because in Kuwait they're dressed and like fully, and the ankles is pretty much the only part that is open to the elements. So the the wind touches the ankles, the sm the scent comes, and it puts them in this position where they are now in a in an aloe forest close to a, a desert somewhere. And as soon as they start walking through the tunnel, we had those sensors, motion sensors. So the cacti starts growing only when they pass by it. The birds start moving and flying only when they pass through it. And it moves from basically from almost sunset to full sunset. As soon as they pass through this tunnel, the last bit of smell and wind that touches them was a different type of scent. And then they reach this massive wall that is blocking basically their their view where the whole journey is explained and it's explained how those particular jewelry pieces have been developed and and how they're polished and shined and how the stone is being set 
And only then they can split through the wall uh, from both sides of the wall and they can go to the sales part and then the sales can begin. So coming up with this creative idea, it came only from the need that we had to make something educational. And then we started filling it up and, of course, pushing boundaries because eight meter curved tunnel made from LED. That was something that everybody was scared doing. They're like, no, it doesn't bend that much and you can't make the curve so tiny. And all of those technical issues that we gave those challenges to ourselves and we managed to, to, to succeed and to make them cool enough. So whoever is going through the tunnel is just like, oh, nice tunnel. They don't care if it's LED or not. But for us, that was so exciting to... Uh, to see how, how we managed to accomplish something that people say that it was not possible. Do you feel like you've uh, acquired experiences and like knowledge and has, how has it developed from you being in Europe and then going to the northern part of Europe and then south of Europe and then the Middle East and how all this being able to approach people in different ways and all this kind of thing? Oh, it's, uh, well... In the team, actually, we have 20 plus nationalities. And the same as what Anna said, first you have to, to get your communication straight. So before you assume anything, ask them how they would like to be approached. And it's so funny because well, in Spain, I was considered the hardest worker ever with giving 50% maybe of my effort. Um, in the Netherlands, I had to work really hard. But in the Middle East, it's the most demanding in terms of time spent on a project. But uh, in terms of communication, funny story, one time I had a client that I still haven't met that with one WhatsApp message from her, I gave her a quote on WhatsApp. She approved on WhatsApp. So she just sent the purchase order on email. On WhatsApp, I told her that the project is done. I sent her a video. So that's four messages. I showed her a video that the project is done. She said, okay, go install it. I've never seen her. I have had four or five messages communication with her. And that's the weirdest, like, that, that was, it was just so special that within under 10 messages and within two weeks, project was done and I've never seen this woman and it was the best project I've had and it was the least headache I've had. Uh, but yeah, so it's, it's different communication styles and uh, we need to learn how to, it's always first listen, see what, what works for the other person because, yeah, we're the supplier, so we need to service. And I think that's what I got from my uh tourism management education that I, I am from the service industry and I have to learn how to to serve the client in the most convenient way for them so yeah every country is different I love that story it's it's a whole <laughs> job through a whatsapp message that's super cool so in the in the in the sort of coming out of the pandemic is is UAE getting back more to reality, real events, as opposed to, I know that Dubai 2020, there's now Dubai 2021, the expo is happening and and people are watching carefully and Tokyo Olympics is starting now. So there's definitely the effort to, to get back to the real life events. So are you now moving, what's the, the uptake on Mimic and the continuation of that plus your balance with going back to real events is it is it you're doing both now or what's the situation yes we do both um my personal belief is that now the world is more open to accept hybrids while before some people would be like no 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 come to my office for a meeting it can't be zoom now everybody's okay with Zoom teams, et cetera, et cetera. So people understand that, that having a connection with someone doesn't necessarily need, mean to go and shake hands. 
And with what's happening with, with virtual events now, they realize that there's so much more reach and there are so many more people that they can influence with the message and give the message to than if it was just a physical event. And well, for me personally, it's, uh, it's the sustainability aspect of it, how easy it is to have to share a message without people traveling uh, and having all those airplanes and hotel rooms and losing so much time. But also for, um, for speakers, if, uh, if it's a very high quality, high level speaker, um, maybe you can't book him for the three days of trip presentation, trip back, but you can book him for the one hour where he can come and he can present. So you can have much more higher quality content on your conference or on your event. So I think now people are understanding better the benefit of hybrid. And yes, people want to come and meet in person. I'm, I'm all, uh, I, I feel the same way. Uh, but being able to expand and to have better quality event, I think hybrid is here to stay. There's, there's no way around it. And Mimic, the way that we've prepared it is that um, it's never just a, a virtual reality platform. The way that it's set up is for hybrid. So now we're just going into that period where, where we can attack hybrid. How do you see technology being used moving forward besides the hybrid event kind of thing? There are some cool stuff. So we, we just had a client, uh, the Saudi government, for Arabian travel market. And they had 15, 20 different pieces of technology. It was actually very, very challenging because uh, they had different areas that they wanted to showcase. And each area wanted to have a hero piece. And normally, I'm sure you know, it's the same with events. You can't have 10 heroes. You should have one hero. And um, what that showed us that is that there, because each of those sub-departments, sub companies, sub-areas um, that they wanted to showcase had a hero piece, uh, we managed to push the boundaries of the physical technology a year on after we've done it the last time. Um, and there are some developments. I would say it's not as rapid as it was before COVID, but there are some developments and there are some things that we managed to implement and to create from scratch for them. And th yeah, there's always a market for it. There's always a desire to push and to do something new and different. And the pandemic hasn't slowed that down. So maybe the requests are less, but there's still desire to, uh, to innovate. So uh, yeah, we wouldn't have a way around it. We would have to stay creative. The trend for new technologies or advancement in whether it be augmented reality or virtual reality and those sort of things, I mean, do you have an in-house team that, that works on developing, you know, further expansions of those things or do you outsource that? Do you do research? Do you, I mean, obviously because you're at the forefront of offering things to clients that they might want to use in their events, you want to be in touch with what's happening, not only with what you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis, but what's up and coming, right? What's that relationship? Is it more in-house development or is it more like watching the market around you and going, okay, I see that this is in development and this is in development. This could become a re reality in six months so we could offer this, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, exactly. It's um, So staying on top of the market means that we have to go to CES, to Integrated Systems Europe, to all of those events that show the, the innovation in AV. But then what we do with that AV, and that's why uh, we don't send only our technicians to those events, but we also send the creative or me or someone else from the creative team. Um, then we 
when we see it in action it, at this exhibition and they explain, you can use it for that. My mind is already transforming it into something completely different. And it's like, yeah, I can use it for that. And if we do this, is that even humanly possible? And then I speak with the technical director and with the technical team. And it's like, yeah, if we do this, maybe it will look like that's possible. So then we try to push the, push the boundary. So we see what is the technology available, but it's what we say, what's, what Eventigrate is, we, we don't, we're not an AV company. We don't have AV stock. We have only weird stock. So if an AV company would have LED and lights, we would have the weird stuff that you connect to the LED and the lights. And uh, that's what we continue doing. So seeing what's, what AV is doing for development, uh, would it be a LED strip or would it be uh, a circular touch panel? And then we reinvent how we can use it and how we can make it something that, that is wow, exciting, more marketing related, more, more understandable for our clients. Because if you say, look at this screen, it's amazing. It's P1. And they're like, what is P1? doesn't matter. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't register with them as something amazing as we see it. So coming up with ways to showcase that to them is, uh, yeah, we definitely have to stay on top of the market. What would you say is the thing you like the most about your job? Talking to different people and seeing those different industries. And in general, the way that we, we live through events is that you build up to an event and then it's finished. And then you build up to another event and then it's finished. And this, this roller coaster uh, moving from, from an event to an event, it's, it's, it always keeps me excited because as soon as we're finished, we're like, okay, what's next? What's, what's the next thing that we can start? And always this process of starting and completing and starting and completing, it's something that no other job has with this frequency as an event-related job. Just the frequency of which we get this dopamine and this happiness of, of doing a, a good job is, is something that, yeah, we're blessed to, to live through those roller coasters where it's, it's something completely different than any other job. I would agree with that one too. What would you say if there's something, if there's something you could change about change about your job or the industry, what would it be? More time. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it always the struggle? Like I guess we have so. a little bit more time. Yeah. Yeah, just plan better. For example, in uh, in Belgium and in the Netherlands, all of those music festivals. Um, the kickoff meeting for the music festival of next year will happen on day last of the music festival this year. So they give themselves a full year to, to start the kickoff and to start preparing for this event. It's very rare in any other scenario in event related, even if uh, a company, an end client will have their event calendar for the full year. They would never tell you 11 months in advance, hey, by the way, I have this event, start thinking about it. Um, although they know that this event would be happening. So that's, that's always a struggle in the event industry, just the time we're given to, to work under pressure and to create something amazing. I think it's uh, Robert Lepage that has a system. I guess it's money-driven as well. I don't know. But they, they start working on the play or the show or whatever they're working on whenever they got the idea or soon when they're ready to start working on it. But then they work for it on a little bit and then everyone goes ways and go work on other stuff and then they come back and so this having time to think about it and let it sit and let it brew and go do other stuff and see how that fits into the idea you had I don't know I thought that process was pretty cool and it's kind of similar to what you're asking with the that's cool 
yeah, I mean, like if you have lots of, lots of time, then you've got more time to reflect. It's always the kind of way that if you if you have a decision to make, you should take the time that you have to make that decision. Like don't make it tonight if you've got a week. Like let sit on it, right? And then you you figure out that there's multiple scenarios and multiple ways you could approach that decision that you need to make. And by the end of the week, you feel fairly confident. And it's the same with events or shows or theatre or anything, right? Like the more time. But at the same time, it's that fine line between having it drag on and being efficient and stuff. So, and I, I think specifically in the UAE, there's a lot of pressure for things to be very fast and turn around and, and deliver in a very, um, it's just, I don't know if that's just a cultural thing, but I, I find that between in Asia and the Middle East, always in Asia there's a, this cognizant of, okay, this is step one to ten and we'll take these steps into it, whereas, like, in the Middle East, they'll be like, we want steps one to four tomorrow and then you're going to do steps four to eight in the next yes. three days and then you're going to deliver then and you're like, hang on, all right, how do we do that, right? <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly, yeah. And uh, and something else about the Middle East, if you give them too much time, then they'll start changing their minds. So instead of 20 iterations, you will have 150 iterations and they will still not be sure and then they'll be like, how about number 17? I think that's the winner after you've done so many more. So, so how much time a client is given for a specific section of the work being done? Yeah, that's also a very dangerous, slippery slope. <laughs> that's amazing. If our audience were to look up Eventigrate or you itself, how would, they, how would they find you to find out more information about you? I would say the, the website is the best way. So one is uh, mimic.digital. The other one is eventagrate.com. And eventagrate is, it's not the name of the company. It's not how it originated, but it's, it's like events and then A and then great, like G-R-A-T-E. So event integration. Um, that's what I thought. It's not actually how it originated the name. <laughs> uh, but uh, that's how they'll find it. Me, best way to look me up is on LinkedIn. And everywhere, all my social media handles are Nadito, which is N-A-D-D-I-T-O. Awesome. Hopefully you'll get some questions out there because people are interested in the Middle East these days oh, and what's going on. So, And you doing amazing work over there. So thank you so much for spending some time with us today, Nadia. Thank you as well, Anna and Anna. It was a pleasure talking to both of you. Thank you. We would love to hear from you, our listeners, on who you would like us to feature on this podcast or what topics fascinate you. There's a link in our podcast description where you can send us your podcast requests and guest nominations. Theatre Art Life provides regular monthly webinars and podcasts for free. And if you have the means, donations can be made via a link in the podcast description. We would be thankful for any support you can give us. You can learn more about Theatre Art Life, the global media site for entertainment, at www.theatreartlife.com. And you can follow us on all social media platforms. We want to thank David Zare for composing the music for our podcast. We are your hosts, Anna and Anna, and this is the Theatre Art Life podcast. Thanks for listening.